Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Viva Albertos podcast. As always, my name is John Fleming. I'm a writer at Viva Albertos, joined once again by Heather Simon. She's a writer and editor at Viva Albertos. Hello, everyone. All right, hi. And uh, <laughs> a quick little intro here because the bulk of our episode is going to be, we have a special guest on the program and it's not, I don't want to say not just a writer on Viva Albertos. We certainly appreciate those who do join us, but... We have a real live former St. Louis Cardinal on the podcast today. It is Kyle McClellan. Kyle McClellan was on the Cardinals from 2008 to 2012, as I'm sure many of you remember, and closed out his career in 2013 with the Texas Rangers. He's doing some charitable work with his charity Brace for Impact, which we'll be discussing with Kyle McClellan once we start that portion of the episode. But before we do start the portion, Heather, I'm going to put you on the spot here. <laughs> I gave you warning that I was going to pose a trivia question to you, but I did not mention what the trivia question was. It's just one question? Sort of. You'll, you'll see in just a second. But you know what we're talking about in this episode. You probably have a, a general idea of where we're going. God. Okay, so in the John Mazelak era as Cardinals GM, Kyle McClellan ranks ninth among Cardinals pitchers in terms of total innings, which I, I wasn't going to make you guess where that was. Who were the eight people who were above him? Like... Starters, relievers? Just total innings pitched, regardless of incapacity. In the John Mazalak era. Correct. So, so two, not like Bob Gibson or anything like that? Correct. It'll be 2008 onward. Oh, phooey. Um, okay. <laughs> you don't have to get them in order or anything, just... There's eight of them? I mean, there's one fairly obvious one you should probably... It feels like a trick. Adam Wainwright. Adam Wainwright. Yeah, Adam okay. Wainwright. <laughs> Adam Wainwright is number one by nearly 600 innings. So you can't tell. You're not going to tell me how many innings Kyle McClellan pitched. Would that spoil it? Oh, oh, I will. Kyle McClellan had 378 innings as a Cardinal. Okay, that helps. So you got Wainwright. So you're one for eight. So uh, Chris Carpenter. Chris Carpenter was number five. Okay. Good job. 378 innings. So, let's think of some more starters. Kyle Loesch? Kyle Loesch was number three on the list, so three for three. Uh, Jake Westbrook? Jake Westbrook, number six, so yes. four for four. Um, and for those who can't see Heather right now, she is clearly freaking out over this question. <laughs> I'm not sure why she's so nervous about it. But... I don't want to look stupid All in right. front of everyone. All of our 40 viewers... Well, they're called listeners. Listeners, whatever. We have 47 listeners. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, okay. Um, since 2008. So let me think here. Just said Jake Westbrook. Uh, da, 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 da. Hmm, probably not Shelby Miller. That He wouldn't have had enough. He was only a starter for like two seasons. I'm trying to think who else in that 2012 season... Started with Loesch, Westbrook, Wainwright, Carpenter. Why am I blanking? Okay, 2008 onward. Nope, that's not going to be a good answer. Um, what about... <laughs> I am so glad we're doing this question, by the way. Just this reaction is priceless. Um, Lance Lynn. Lance Lynn is number four. <laughs> okay. So five for five. I forgot all about Lance Lynn. Okay. You were so worried about this question, too. and So I have five. I have four more to get. You have three more to get. Three more to get. Oh, right. I only have to get eight. Um, 
You're missing number two, number seven, and number eight. Number two could be number two. I'm sure it's someone that pitched in that 2012 season that I just can't remember who they are. From 2008 onward. It's not... No, that doesn't make any sense. No, no, no. No! Why is this so hard? Space oh, out. Okay. <laughs> Refuse to give up. Jaime Garcia. Jaime Garcia is number two. <laughs> okay, so now I just got seven and eight. Yep. Um, Jaime Garcia was the guy who couldn't remember. So seven and eight. Probably other relievers. Like... Or, 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 uh, 300 innings. So, if Carlos Martinez pitched 190-something this season, 140-something last season, and 100, or in like 50-something this season, could it be Carlos Martinez? Carlos Martinez is number seven. Yes! Okay. <laughs> All right, one name away. Um, okay, so, Michael Waka's not that far behind Carlos Martinez, but Michael Waka. Michael Walk is correct. Yes, I did it! <laughs> eight, for, eight for eight. Uh, and Shelby Miller's at number 10, not too far behind McClellan, but McClellan's still number nine, so. Yay! I was thinking Shelby Miller, too, so I could have gotten the top 10. Ah, easy. Are you going to try number 11 now, then? Um, okay. Um, is it, is it Joe Kelly? No, Joe Kelly was number 17. It was Joel Pinheiro. Oh, you knew I wasn't going to get that one. Oh, sure, but you <laughs> asked for it. Okay. Well, without further ado, don't worry. The entire episode is not going to be us listing off pictures that aren't Kyle McClellan. Uh, we were lucky enough to be joined by Kyle McClellan, so let's go ahead and do that. Okay, and we are delighted to be joined on the Viva Alberta's podcast by former Cardinals pitcher Kyle McClellan. Uh, Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing well. First of all, we're very happy to have somebody on who actually is played baseball at a high level and can probably be a little more of an expert than we are but now you grew up as I'm sure a lot of people listening know in the St. Louis area you went to Hazelwood West High School which for anybody who's not from the area or isn't too familiar with it, it's about 20-25 minutes away from Bush Stadium now did you grow up a Cardinals fan or are you just more of a general baseball fan growing up no we grew up diehard Cardinals fans my dad worked for Oscar Meyer and they had season tickets that he kind of ran and uh, so we went down quite a bit during the season and caught a lot of games. And my buddies and I, once we were able to drive, we would drive down there and buy bleacher tickets or the cheapest tickets we could and take the tickets before they scanned them. You just had to flash them to the usher. So we'd take tickets from years before with the good seats and get down in there and, and catch a game. So we, I pretty much feel like I grew up down at the old bush. Yeah, I think that was definitely an experience that a lot of us who grew up with old bush had before – new bush mm -hmm. came and came a little harder to do that but i mean the fact that you were drafted by your hometown team the team that you grew up rooting for did that affect your decision as far as signing out of high school or were you just set on being a professional baseball player regardless actually i thought i was going to go to college uh, i'd signed at mizzou and and the cardinals called me in the ninth right after the eighth round and said they were going to take me in the ninth and offered um, the signing bonus that that we decided to pass we had 30 seconds to decide and uh, and passed and and so I went to bed that night thinking that it was over and that I was going to go to college and and uh, they drafted me the next day and said we'll see how it works out and they ended up not signing a sixth round pick that year a catcher and uh, so they they had an opportunity to to sign me and watched me throughout the summer and and um, so I was a late sign but 
uh, really it came down to my decision was if you go to college, it's about winning. And if you go into pro ball, it's about development. And, and I like that side of it. I wanted to get in there and learn from professional coaches and, and thought it was my best way to the big leagues. Everything that I know now, I would, I would say that we, we didn't understand what we were doing at the time. It was just my dad and I and my family and uh, we didn't have an agent or anything. And if my son was in the same position, I wouldn't change anything about my career, but I would highly encourage him to go to college just because I've seen so many kids not make it. And, and then they have no college education to fall back on. It becomes hard for them because they're, you know, in their early twenties or have families and uh, it, it's, it's hard for them to go back and get that education. And they're really hindered um, in that next phase of life. And, and fortunately for me, I was able to make it, uh, but the percentages just don't, they, they, they're not in your favor of, of signing out of high school. So growing up a Cardinals fan, did you have any favorite players or anyone you modeled your, your game after? Everybody always asks that. And and really (laughs) I have a terrible, boring answer. Um, I I don't, I, I I was just a Cardinal fan in general. I I liked all of the the players. I I, I just liked the team. I didn't have one player that I really gravitated towards. Um, but I I was a huge Brett Favre fan, which is really (laughs) weird. Uh, so I had in my room, I had all the Cardinal posters. I had McGuire and, you know, all those posters. And then I had a Brett Favre poster, and he was just my favorite athlete. I loved his toughness. I loved how he's out there every every week, uh, the energy and the fun that he had while playing. Uh, but now I don't have one specific, you know, Cardinal player that was that was my favorite. I just I liked all the teams. And, of course, for a majority of your playing career, you played with Tony La Russa being the manager. And Tony La Russa was actually hired as the Cardinals manager when you were, I think when you were 11 years old, if I did the math right. So what was it like playing under somebody who was like an iconic part of your childhood growing up as a Cardinals fan? It's, it's really hard to explain. You, you, you just, you're used to playing for different managers and you respect all of those guys that you play for in the minor leagues. And, and when you get to the big leagues, it, you just kind of feel like you belong and you feel like you're just a part of the team. And, and so it's not, it wasn't one of those things that the first time I saw him, I was in awe. I was just like, hey, you know, I'm here in spring training and, and he's running it and hopefully I can perform well enough and, and make the team. But uh, certainly he was intimidating. He he had that aura about him when he walked down the hallway. He just had this presence. And I think that's what made him so great is that he he loved um, to to interject very small things along the way that were very important. He wouldn't talk to you all the time, but when he did, well, it, it was it was going to be important. It was going to be a, a great thing that you could apply to your game. And and he when he came around and, and, and he sat there and talked to you about the game yesterday or what he thinks you need to do to, to improve, you, you made sure you paid attention. So John told me that <laughs> that you also played under Mike Matheny in, I guess, 2012. Uh-huh. So I guess what are the differences between those two managers and playing for each one? Uh, there's a lot of differences. Mike is, is a lot more personal. Uh, and, and it's weird because I, I was very close to Mike. Mike was a mentor of mine, a guy that, that I looked to in a lot of different situations I would call as uh, someone just bounce ideas off of, talk to, get advice from. I worked out with him in, in the minor leagues here locally in St. Louis. And so we had a personal relationship, and, and that's always awkward when he gets hired as the manager and he's your boss. Um, but unfortunately that year I was dealing with shoulder injuries the whole year and I just wasn't the same and uh, I wasn't able to perform like I had had wanted to. And um, so unfortunately I didn't get to pitch for Mike 
very long, very often. And, and, and when I did, it wasn't very good. Um, but you know, he's a, he's a great leader. He's a, a leader of men and, uh, and a guy that, that regardless of his on the field and, and, and what he's able to do there as a manager is somebody that I have the utmost respect for as a person and somebody that, that I'll have as a friend for the rest of my life. So throughout your playing career, like the first, this Cardinal starting catcher from the time that you started your career to the time that you end your career and through today is Yadier Molina and certainly has a high reputation among baseball players, among baseball fans as one of the best defensive catchers that's ever played the game. Now, is it just a matter with Molina, somebody who knows it personally? Is he somebody that calls games in a different way than any other catchers you've worked with or is he just a lot better at what he does than most people? I think it's a little bit of both. Yachty does when when you're a young player and you come up, he he obviously has the credibility and experience that that you're going to listen to him. And so when he puts a, a pitch down, you're going to throw it. And if you watch the young players for the Cardinals and on the stuff I do on Cam Wax, I talk about it all the time that people don't understand when you get a young guy. When you get Alex Reyes, for instance, if if, if you were to compare the way Alex Reyes pitched in AAA. And I never saw him pitch in AAA, but I can almost guarantee you that he pitched a lot differently in the big leagues than he did there. In AAA, he's relying on his fastball because it's dominant and he can get by with it. Yachty's making him do things in situations that he's never done before. And if you can't do it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be exposed and, and, and you won't be there very long. But if you can, and it makes you concentrate so much more. And, and a good example of this is I was not a good curveball pitcher for a strike. I was I was not an early in the count curveball guy. I, I used my curveball when I could throw it as hard as I could, and hitters would chase it through the zone. And Yachty forced me to throw that early in the count because he would just put it down and expect you to do it. And when you, when he does that, it makes you concentrate and focus so much more on what you're doing, and it makes it made me a better pitcher. I was had the success that I had in the major leagues because of Yachty. He sped up my learning curve uh, and my success because he forced me into things that I wasn't comfortable doing and I wouldn't have done until I had gotten beat and, and lost and, and made mistakes and learned from it down the road. But a Carlos Martinez, a, an Alex Reyes, guys like that, I, I if, if Carlos wouldn't have Yachty, I, I'll tell you right now, he has tremendous stuff and the, the, the sky's the limit for this guy. There's no way he would have won 15 games his first year, whatever it was. He would have He would have had to go through that learning curve. But Yachty his presence and his knowledge can speed that up for guys and get them to come up and contribute. You look around the league, nobody else has young pitchers that contribute as much as the Cardinals do. And that is 100% because of Yachty. So when it comes to Molina, is it more a matter of what he's doing like in between performances, whenever he's you know talking to you, going over what you're doing well, what you can improve on? Or is there anything as far as in-game stuff that he does differently than the typical catcher would do? Uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, you're doing this well. You need to work on this. It's just you're going to go out there and you're going to follow my fingers and 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 he does it that way. Um, he'll he'll come up to you afterwards and talk to you about certain situations, but it's more you're just following his lead and 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 he has the guts to call certain pitches in different situations that most guys wouldn't do. I mean, he'll call with a young pitcher on the mound a three-one changeup because it's the right thing to do or the hitter's not expecting it where most guys are going to allow Alex Reyes to throw his fastball or Carlos Martinez to throw his fastball. And Yachty doesn't do that. He, he, he challenges the guy on the mound just as much as the guy in, at the plate. And it, it's, I'm telling you, when the Cardinals lose Yachty or Molina, you are not going to have the success of young pitchers that you've had over the last decade. I know I always remember specifically in my mind 
<laughs> him calling like three changeups in a row. These just always seem to be sort of. I think there's a Shelby Miller quote about it where he like w- looks into your soul or something if you're a hitter, and it just always is amazing to me. Well, and like when Kevin Segrist comes out, there's there's times where Segrist doesn't throw a changeup very often, and there's been times where he'll throw a changeup and it was really good, and Yachty identifies that and he stays with it. And I have seen him throw three or four changeups in a row because it's working that day. That's not Kevin Segrist's best pitch. That's not his best way to attack hitters. But Yachty will see something in one day and go, man, this is our best approach. We're going to keep feeding this. And the hitter's going, there's no way he's going to throw it again. And, and sure enough, he does. So that's just Yachty saying, hey, this is your third or fourth pitch, but right now it's really good and we're going to stick with it. And, and most people wouldn't do that. And Shelby Miller had a quote when he went to Boston that um, – or um, Arizona, or maybe it was – I think it was Atlanta. And he said um, that – maybe it was Joe Kelly. One of them said <laughs> – it was, it was Joe Kelly. I get them. They're like best friends. I get them confused all the time. Right. Um, but Joe, Joe had said, I'm starting to figure out how to call my own game. And this is a guy that had three years in the big leagues who's just now starting to realize it because he didn't have to do that because Yachty did that. And that is a is a glimpse into how good Yachty is and how how far he pushes these young guys and how much you can just rely on him. You know, a guy with three years in the league, if he doesn't know how to call it his own game, um, that that's a concern. <laughs> And if you don't have a catcher that's, that knows what they're doing and has studied as hard as Yachty does, nobody watches more film than Yachty. Nobody's as prepared as Yachty is. And, um, and so that all of those things go in to make him as great as he is. And, and to me, he's the, the best catcher uh, to ever play and, and as a first ballot Hall of Famer, in my opinion. So then when you went to uh, Texas in 2013, I think, mm-hmm. did, would you notice a big difference with not having Yachty behind the plate and just any other differences between the two organizations? Um, not having Yachty, yes. I went to A.J. Pierzynski, which you talk about drastically different. And uh, A.J. was there to hit, not really there defensively. Was uh, Yachty would stand on his head if you needed him to to, to make a pitch, and, and A.J. was pretty set in his ways. So I didn't spend a lot of time in Texas, but um, I'd spent most of it in the minor leagues. But the, the short time I did, yeah, there was, there was a huge difference. And Yachty was just defensively, I mean, the way he received the ball, he never gave up on a pitch, um, was, you know, always fighting for you. Every, every, you know, ball on the corner he was working for. Uh, and, and most guys don't do that. Most guys are, you know, they just kind of are back there and catching it in AJ's position. He was there to hit and, and that's what he loved to do. And, uh, and, and so there was a, there was a big difference as far as organizations. It, it's Texas was an awesome organization. They, they do things the right way. Um, very different in the way that they do it. The Cardinals are very strategic, and you can see their moves coming a mile down down the way. Uh, the Rangers are kind of they take a lot of um, flyers on guys and 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 try to see if they can get anything to work. So they'll take 50 different chances, and if two of them work out, it was a success for them. And uh, so they're they're the Cardinals are a lot more strategic in the moves that they make uh, in the signings that they do, and the Rangers are very more. Um, we're going to give a lot more opportunities and see if we can get a couple to stick. But both quality, you know, great organizations, and I, I was very happy to have experienced both of them. And whenever you were walking around the Texas clubhouse, did you mention the World Series ring at all, or was it just kind of a thing that you figured they knew and it wasn't worth rubbing it in? Oh, no, I mentioned it quite a bit. Uh, I wanted to make sure they they uh, they, they remembered that. Um, Lance Berkman, me and him were over there in spring training, and he, uh, he, he gave it to him pretty good in spring training, and we actually came back to St. Louis, so... Uh, right around that time, we we joked about it, but 
Uh, like I said, I was only there for three or four weeks. I wasn't there very long in the big leagues, still fighting my shoulder injuries and, and spent a lot of time in the minor leagues. But um, when I was there, they were well aware. Actually, John Daniels told me I got to quit bringing up the whole World Series. <laughs> it makes them angry, but uh, we had a good, it was all in fun. Were you doing it just to the players or were you doing it to Ron Washington as well? Uh, no, I, I left Wash alone, but um, <laughs> John Daniels, he got, he got a, a good dose of it. In the free agency period, I, I brought it up quite a bit. Probably good to avoid bringing it up to the guy who can put you in games or not. That's right. Okay, and you spent most of your career as a major league pitcher in the bullpen, but in 2011 you started 17 games. I'm sure you know anybody who remembers the 2011 season, which we like to bring up every once in a while just for you know good times and memories. Starter, which role did you prefer? Like if you had your druthers, would you want to be a starter or did you like coming in in intense situations out of the bullpen? Yeah, I like both. I mean, there's really... You know, both of them have their pluses and minuses. As a starter, it's nice to be able to prepare for five days, all for one game and one opponent. Uh, do you get your your weightlifting program, your running, everything all geared towards that one day? And if you had a good start, it was a great. The next five days were really good. If you didn't have a good start, you know it stunk and you wanted to get back out there. Out of the bullpen, I love coming to the park every day, knowing I had a chance to contribute. I love the high-pressure situations. I love uh, being in there with the game on the line. Um, but it, the, if you had a bad day, you cost your team uh, a game late, and that was the hardest thing is dealing with you know, one-run situations, tie game, and giving up one run and knowing that all the hard work that your team had put up to that point to get you the ball with the lead uh, was, was all a waste. And that was, that was a lot to, to put on your shoulders. And I carried that into the next day when I showed up in the clubhouse, just that feeling of, of failure and letting your teammates down. So both of them had their pluses and minuses. I think ultimately starting ended up costing me um, physically more so. I think I would have lasted a lot longer and maybe still been pitching out of the bullpen. But that innings load that that I took on in 2011, I, I was just never the same. Halfway through that season is, is when my shoulder pain started and and really to this day has never gone away. So um but I got a nice shiny ring and get to sign World Series champion by my name every once in a while. And, um, you know, you can't that that's something that nobody can ever take away. Flags fly forever. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I saw on the five year anniversary of the World Series when you'd posted on Twitter a picture of your ring. And I'm sure you were you know, plenty happy to let others see. Maybe some of the old Rangers teammates saw it as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if any of them follow me on Twitter, but um yeah, I mean, look, that's a that's a, a memory that that I'll always have, and and that parade, and with my daughter, and it was just born that year, and my wife in the back of that truck, and a million people it seemed like that came out for that, and to be always recognized on that team, and what David Freeze did, and you know how special it was, um, but just the fact that we were, you know, we were the best team, and nobody nobody could beat us, and and we were unbelievable down that stretch. Um, that that and 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 what everybody did like I think of of guys that that maybe got one key hit uh in and they, they were only there for a, a few days or a few games or whatever it was maybe a September call up and Adron Chambers who came up and got some big plays for us you know guys like that I mean there's so many people that contributed uh for us to be able to call ourselves world champions and and you know you appreciate every single one of them and and the effort and the work that they put in and and it all came together for uh a heck of a run, that's for sure. Yeah, that 2011 season was probably some of the most fun I've had watching baseball. Was it probably the most fun playing it too? <laughs> it was. It, it was. Um, we, we went. I mean, that that last month of the regular season and and into the postseason, 
I mean, we showed up every day knowing we were going to win. We were literally unbeatable. And when we got to the field, it seemed like Raphael Fercal to me was was the biggest part of that whole team and that trading deadline because he it seemed like he was on base. He'd get a double or a triple to lead off every game. And and then we were up one nothing and and that whole momentum that built off of that all the way through the postseason. I felt like we had the lead in every game. The momentum just kind of kept rolling and uh, it was fun. It was it was an exciting time, especially coming off when we're ten and a half games back or whatever it is and and thinking that, you know, we're gonna have a our season's going to be over soon and what are we going to do in the off season and, and how are we going to get ready for next year? And next thing you know, uh, you show up to the park every day knowing that, that you're going to win and you're going to go on to the next, to the next series uh, in the postseason. It, it's, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I, I, I don't think we'll ever see it again uh, in the game of baseball, what we did that year. So now I guess we'll switch gears just a little bit because you have a organization uh, called Brace for Impact. Is it ba- Brace for Impact or Brace for Impact 46? Either one. So we had to put Sully Solinger, who landed the the plane in the Hudson, uh, <laughs> named a book Brace for Impact. And actually, the movie, I think, you know, his famous line is Brace for Impact. So we had to we had to throw a 46 on it, my uniform number, so that we didn't get in trouble with Sully over uh, <laughs> landing the plane in the Hudson. But yeah, either one, Brace for Impact 46 is what we go by. So I. I... I'm sort of on the site, like the philanthropist, I think is the word. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my, one of my like great passions is charities, especially ones that uh, serve children and help children in need. And I was reading a little bit about your organization that seems to be kind of its mission. Could you, would you like to talk about it a little bit? <laughs> yeah. So we, actually went over to, to Haiti with Adam Wainwright and his wife in 2014. My wife and I did, and Scott Leinbrink, another former teammate, and several other people. And Adam and his wife helped build an orphanage in Haiti, and, and we went with them to see it. And my wife and I always wanted to get involved in something, and we were looking for two or three years, and we just had a hard time finding something that 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 we really wanted to jump in on. And uh, when we got over there, we just fell in love with the people in the country, and the, the level of need there is is so much greater than anything I've ever seen before. And so uh, we we jumped on board and started Brace for Impact 46, and and we committed to raising $200,000 to expand the orphanage that Adam and his wife have helped contribute to, and and into the things going on down there. And uh, we did that in 19 months. We were able to raise $200,000, actually 200. Two hundred twelve thousand seven hundred fifty, to be exact, and uh, and now we continue to support our kids down there. We have thirty three kids in that orphanage that we provide food, water, shelter, clothing, twelfth grade education, and a Bible education and medical care uh, for them throughout the year. And so that's our commitment on a yearly basis to those kids. And um, this year we we're able to actually exceed our goal of eighty thousand. We're over a hundred thousand dollars so far that we're able to to contribute down there and. We're also running a project in North City, St. Louis, where we're doing community development, just like we've done in Haiti. Um, we've seen it be successful with that model of, of working with, with kids in particular, but working with homes and providing a safe, stable environment and working with parents and, and raising their children um, to, to a way uh, that will expose them to other great things that they can do uh, once they enter adulthood and, and how they can have you know successful careers and successful paths. That's incredible. Is there is there any way someone like me or anyone else could get involved? 
Yeah, so we get we get asked that a lot. We're we are we take two trips a year, and we go we take a guys trip in the summer, and then we take a co-ed trip. Where our next trip's in February, um, to go over and expose people to it. We'll do one event a year, a fundraiser, a wiffle ball tournament. We did it last year; it was extremely successful. My big thing is, uh, how can we raise the most money with the least amount of cost? So there's nobody in our organization that takes a salary. My wife and I don't take anything uh, from the organization. And when we do events, we try to keep everything at about a 5% uh, expenses if we can. And we were able to actually be under that in the wiffle ball tournament. And and so that's, as a nonprofit, that's huge to be able to tell people that all the money coming in is going out. And um, so we'll do the wiffle ball tournament. So so be on the lookout for that on our Facebook page and our and our Twitter for, at Brace for Impact 46. And, um, you know, get involved that way. We're, we're looking into doing a food packaging event where we'll package some food and send it over uh, to the people of Haiti as well, that might be coming in May, uh, but we'll have little events here and there. But we have T-shirts for sale. People can rock our our foundation T-shirt, and all that money goes to support Haiti. Um, and just you know, really just sharing um, about what we're doing and 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 how we're trying to help these people. So, did you participate in the wiffle ball tournament? Uh, I did not. I I um, I was the um, supervisor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We actually had all our teams filled up, and and so I wanted to to instead of having a celebrity team, I, I wanted to have you know sell that that team and and bring in some extra money, and and so I took on a supervisor role, and I tell you what, it was a blast. We had a lot of fun. We had 24 teams and great sponsors on board, and and really made it a special event. So we're looking forward to growing that. We did forty thousand dollars on it, um, which is is pretty incredible, and so we look forward to growing that, and and that being our our key fundraiser for for our charity and for our kids. All right, thank you very much uh, for joining us, obviously. Uh, one more question, or one more series of questions, I guess, before we let you go. First of all, thank you for putting up with us to this point, but we have a little, um, we're starting to go in the direction on this podcast of asking uh, trivia questions. Don't worry, we're not gonna ask anything too crazy here. We're gonna ask you uh, some questions about your career, see how well you remember yourself. And if anyone listening along wants to play along as well, I'd would be amazed if you know the answers better than he does, but who knows it's possible. Okay, so this was all through baseball reference, so assuming they're right, we'll go with it. It's on the internet. It's got to be true, right? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't off Wikipedia. It was off baseball reference. I think we're good. All right. Okay, so uh, first question, what batter did you face the most times in your MLB career? Uh, probably Ryan Braun. Braun was actually tied for third with Carlos Lee. Any other guesses? Uh, Hunter Pence. Hunter Pence was number one. Good job. Uh, number two and, was Michael Bourne, and number five was Brandon Phillips. Yeah. Hunter Pence gives me nightmares still. He hit about 500 off me. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up, but yeah. yeah. He... <laughs> That's right. You can, you can list off Michael Bourne and, and uh, Derek Lee's stats if you want. Those are much better in my favor. Yeah, well, um, moving on. Our, our next question is about uh, just in the direction of favorable outcomes. What batter did you strike out the most times in your career? Derek Lee. It was Derek Lee. With, he had you had six strikeouts against him. It appears. And one for ten. Was it one for ten? I I don't remember the exact numbers, but I mean he was a good player though. So it's not like it's yeah. not like it was some you know call up that you were doing well against. So that's good. But unfortunately, on the other end of the spectrum, I do have to ask. There was only one player in your career that you allowed three home runs off of. Do you remember who it was? Miguel Tejada. It was not Miguel Tejada. Um. Brian, no, it wasn't Ryan Braun. It was, um, wasn't Brandon Phillips. Give me a, give me a, give me a hint. He was on the Reds. 
And he was on other teams as well, but it was against the Reds that he'd hit the home runs. Um, I don't know. This one actually amazed me, and I had to double-check it. It was Ramon Hernandez. Yeah, I was going to say the catcher. Yep. Yeah, which, I mean, you weren't allowing the home runs to Ryan Braun, but Hernandez, but... He got me two, two times in one game. It was actually the game that my daughter was being born the next day, and I gave up two home runs to him in Cincinnati. Fastballs away that came back over the middle. It's amazing that you remember the details of it. I guess you had other things in your mind at the time rather than getting Ramon Hernandez out in Cincinnati. Which do like home runs in Cincinnati? I guess they count technically, but oh, they count. Yeah, they... <laughs> they count years later when some guy on a podcast brings them up to you. Right. All right. Well, uh, thank you once again for joining us, Kyle McClellan, former Cardinals pitcher as well as Rangers pitcher. But for people listening, I'm sure Cardinals pitcher is the operative term. And you mentioned where we can find. Uh, Brace for Impact, Brace for Impact 46 information. Uh, where else can people find you and your work? Yeah, so our website is, is braceforimpact46.com, and in that, you know, people can donate there and they can read about it. Our Facebook page is our is our best. Really, we update that the most with the newest information. It's just easier to, to update quicker. Uh, and then people can follow me on Twitter at KyleMcClellan46. And um, during the season, I'll, you know, I, I do I tweet a little bit here and there about the Cardinals and and the work I'm doing with KMOX, and I'll be down in spring training from the whole time. I'm going to broadcast some games on the radio there and on their uh, on the website that, that they're going to stream. And so I'll be around the players and doing interviews. So I'll have some information coming out during spring training and um, try to give little insights here and there during the season. Okay, thank you once again to Kyle McClellan for his participation in episode 60 of the Viva Alberta's podcast. And a special thank you to my uncle Jim, who actually was a teacher of Kyle McClellan's and was able to help us arrange this special guest. You can go ahead and follow Viva Albertos on Twitter at Viva Albertos, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Viva Albertos. Obviously, www.vivaalbertos.com is the most direct way to get information on what we're putting up. Heather, where can we find you and your work? You can find me on Twitter at... L-I-L underscore Scooter 93. And you can read the Hunt and Peck post Monday through Friday at 12 p.m. And you can read my posts. I have posts Wednesdays at 2 p.m., Fridays at 8 a.m., as well as news and notes posts on Saturday and Monday mornings. You can follow me on Twitter at JohnJF125. And definitely go ahead and subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy what you're hearing. Or if you don't enjoy what you're hearing, we'll try to get better. (laughs) But we're on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud, all sorts of fun places. You can always just listen through the Viva Alberta's website as well. And certainly appreciate uh, if you rate and review us on iTunes. Apparently, it helps people find us if we have a good review. So you know what to do. Give us a good review, please. (laughs) We really are very needy people. (laughs) All right, and so without further ado, thank you, uh, Heather, for once again being a co-host on the show. Uh, always a pleasure. It sounded sarcastic, but thank you very it much. It is not sarcastic. I meant it genuinely. All right, <laughs> I'll take it. Thank you very much for listening.